afternoon, morning, evening to uh, all of our participants. Um, and welcome to this e-dialogue of what future for small-scale farming. So on behalf of the Sustainable Development Solution Network, Foresight for Food, IFAD and APRA, thanks very much for joining us. My name's Ken Giller. I'm co-chair of SDSN's network on sustainable agriculture and food systems. And I'm one of your hosts today. Our network focuses specifically on SDG2, that's the Zero Hunger SDG, with a very strong interest in rural households and smallholder farmers. Over to you, uh, John. Thank you, uh, Ken. Uh, my name is John Thompson. I'm also one of the moderators today. I'm a senior fellow at the Institute of Development Studies in the UK and uh, have the honor and pleasure of being the director of the Future Agricultures Consortium, which is a, an international network analyzing processes around agricultural commercialization and rural transformation across Sub-Saharan Africa. And we coordinate the APRA program, which is looking at pathways to improve livelihoods through commercialization. So I'm thrilled and honored to be uh, here with such a knowledgeable and experienced panel to share their thoughts from a, a, an African perspective. We've asked the panelists to focus on a, a set of questions, five questions that we've given to them in advance. In essence, we're interested in knowing more about how important small-scale farming will be in the future for poverty reduction, for food production and nutrition and, and, and food security, how food markets are changing, both domestic and international, what this means for different types of farming households, the implications for women and young people, and how policymakers are responding to these changes and transformations. So we're gonna start by asking each of our uh, speakers to give a, a brief two to three minute opening with their perspectives. To, and then we're gonna to move to a general discussion around some of these questions. And then we'll invite members of the audience to offer some of their own questions. They can put those into the chat box as we proceed. And finally, at the end, we'll come back to each of our panelists and ask them for a brief concluding reflection on what they've heard and where they think we go from here. So to save time, I'm going to ask each of the speakers to briefly introduce themselves for the first time they speak, and then we'll, we'll open things up. Before I do that, I want to hand over briefly to Jim Woodhill, our other moderator, who's going to talk about the mural sticky noteboard that we've developed for this session. Jim, a few words. Right. Um, sorry, I'm just sharing my screen here. Oh, um, I need to have my screen sharing enabled, uh, please. Yes, you should be able now. Okay. Um, you can see here a um, mural template that we're going to try and capture the uh, discussion today. If anybody um, online would like to add to this, you're most welcome to do so. Um, I'll share a link in the chat box in just a moment. Very quickly, you can scroll if you click your mouse on this, you can scroll in and out to look in more detail or look at the whole thing or to look at one part in detail. You can click and move it around. If you go up in the left corner here, you can get a sticky note and you can drag a sticky note in here and then you can just uh, type what you like. 
and then you can scroll back out and go and put sticky notes anywhere else. I'll be taking notes um, of the discussion into this template and you can click on the link that I'm just about to share with you and add your own thoughts and comments. We'll leave this live for a few days afterwards. So if you'd like to come and add some of your thoughts uh, afterwards, feel free to do so. We're partly sharing this as an experiment. You might also find it useful in some of your own uh, online facilitation work. Thanks, John. Thank you, Jim. Uh, yes, please do populate the, the mural as we go along. That would be really great. I'm gonna hand over to Adebayo to kick us off with a brief introduction and opening thoughts. Okay, thank you, John. Um, and hi, everybody. Uh, my name is Adebayo Arumodano. Um, I'm a professor of agricultural economics and dean of the Faculty of Agriculture at Adekunle Ajashi University in Nigeria. Uh, currently, my research is on improving the livelihood of our smallholder households in Nigeria. Um, why should we be worried in the first place about the future of small-scale agriculture that cultivates only about 20% of farmland globally? and account for only about 20% of food production. My answer to this is small-scale agriculture, five hectares and below, constitute about 94% of the over 570 million farms that exist globally. And over 90% of these farms are family farms. In SSA, that's Sub-Saharan Africa, small-scale farms below five hectares constitute over 90% of farms and provide direct means of livelihood to over 85% of the population, of the rural population. The implication is that even though small scale agriculture contributes only one fifth of the total food production, it provides the direct source of livelihood for majority of population that lives in Africa. So small scale agriculture will therefore remain a key sector for achieving food security, poverty reduction, and employment in Africa, at least for the next decade. The problem is, after several decades of massive investment in small-scale small agriculture in Sub-Saharan Africa, there has been very little change in the structure and performance. Today, smallholder farms are still characterized by low capital investment low access to inputs, high unit cost of production, low assimilation of technological advancement, low level of commercialization or engagement with the market, low productivity, low marketable surplus, very low level of response to government agricultural policies. Two questions I think Africa should be asking at this time are, should small farms be empowered to enhance food security poverty reduction and employment by 2030? My answer to this question is yes. Second question, should Africa continue to rely on small scale agriculture for food security, poverty reduction and employment in the next decade after 2030? My answer to this question is no. My recommendation would be for a fundamental restructuring of Africa's small-scale agricultural sector. To this end, I will propose a deliberate use of medium-scale farming as a major policy instrument for achieving this goal. 
I will talk more about this proposal during the course of our discussion. Thank you for listening. Thank you so much for that provocative opening to kick us off. I'm going to hand over to Syriac. Uh, thank you, Johnny. Can you hear me? Yes. Yeah, thank you so much, uh, John, and uh, thank you for the invitation. And indeed, the very uh, provocative uh, thought from uh, um, from Adebayo. Well, my name is uh, Siraka Kizimana. I am a researcher in the Institute for Poverty, Land, and Agrarian Studies at the University of the Western Cape in South Africa. Uh, probably as a way of uh, introduction, um, we need to start with the reality that the rural population of Africa is growing, uh, despite growing urbanization, and the prospects are, are that it will continue to rise until at least the, the 2040. Uh, this unabated Africa's uh, population growth is happening in a context characterized by rapid processes of change in Africa's uh, rural areas. And uh, these changes are uh, occurring in Africa's rural areas include a rapid agricultural commercialization, growth of large-scale agriculture, increasing concentration and the pressure on land, and the failure of intergenerational transfer, including land. They also include the expansion of wide conservation areas for various reasons, uh, booming mining activities, and other forms of resource extraction, and the massive infrastructural uh, developments. All these megatrends give substance to this important question that we are exploring today on what future for small-scale agriculture in Africa. And I'm really looking forward to the fascinating discussion that's going to follow. I end up with there, John. Thank you. Sorry, I'm hoping that Aida Isanika is here with us now. Aida, have you managed to connect? You're on mute at the moment. Uh, I am here. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. I'll hand to you. Uh, okay. Um, uh, contributing to this discussion, uh, I'm addressing the the issue of uh, what, how are the characteristics of farming households changing? Um, as um, the previous speakers have said, uh, smallholder agriculture will remain important as a source of livelihood for many people for some time to come. Uh, despite the increasing role of medium-scale farmers uh, in the continent. Uh, now, the, the, what we observe is that uh, Africa is very diverse in terms of ecology, and there are variations between countries, and therefore the opportunities and the constraints vary, and the smallholder farmers adjust accordingly. And... Um, what we are, we are seeing is that, uh, uh, for example, in Tanzania using uh, panel data uh, that is uh, covering uh, the period from 2008 up to, to the present, we note that um, uh, smallholder agriculture 
still uh, remain prominent, accounting for about 88% uh, of the farming households, and they are contributing to more than 75% of the food. But at the same time, we know that uh, commercialization is happening. Uh, and by commercialization, we mean uh, the farmers who are selling at least 50% of their produce. Uh, it is a slow rate, but it is a continuing rate. And uh, so farmers are combining farming with um, uh, non-farm income, yet most of the farmers still uh, want to remain in agriculture. So um, I think for some time to come, uh, as we are transforming, there's need to continue supporting farmers, smaller farmers, because that's the only way the only way that will move significant proportions of the rural population out of poverty. Now, uh, we note that, uh, the, that farmers are facing challenges of uh, increasing population pressure, leading to land fragmentation, and some of them are adapting by moving to high value crops, such as, uh, as is happening in, uh, in some parts of, uh, of, of, of densely populated areas. Uh, but uh, in areas where land is still open, people are, are extensifying uh, uh, their farms. So in some areas we see the average farm size increasing. And uh, what the implication for nutrition is that uh, uh, diversification is the improving food and nutrition security, but also uh, income sources. Now, Aida, I'm going to stop minutes. you there. Sorry, I'm going to stop. We're asking for a brief two to three minute opening statements. So I'm oh. going to come back to some of these more detailed questions in the discussion, if that's all right. Okay. So I'm going to leave it there for the moment. And then I'm going to move on to, uh, to Abdel to give us a perspective from Erie. Yeah, thank you, John. It's really a pleasure to be uh, in this panel. Uh, my name is Abdel Ismail. I have been working with International Rice Research Institute for almost 20 years now. So I have been in Asia, but now moved to Africa and I'm the regional representative for the Institute uh, in Africa. Um, I am a, originally a plant physiologist, but my work is on a, a broad area from agronomy to plant physiology to stress physiology and molecular breeding. But my focus has been mainly on unfavorable areas and areas that are more seriously affected by climate change. Uh, so for Sub-Saharan Africa, and, and the reason actually for ERI to move and focus more on Sub-Saharan Africa is the challenge is getting bigger and the opportunities are there if you compare the, especially if you look at the rice sector, uh, when ERI started in, in Asia in the 60s, it's probably at uh, the same stage where, where Africa is right now, now importing more than $6 billion cost of rice every year, which is huge. Um, the other uh, problem here is, is still uh, Africa, Sub-Saharan Africa is at the, the highest rate of food insecurity in the world, mainly because of dependence of these imports, which is flux, fluctuating. And also, uh, especially for cereals and the population is grows, growing, but agricultural productivity is stagnating. Uh, at the way, you give very good numbers about uh, the status of a small, hold, uh, small scale farming in Africa. There's more than 85% of all the farms are small scale, 
less than two hectares, um, uh, about 33 million, million farms, which is really huge. But we cannot neglect them because these are supporting about 60% of the population, even if they are just at a level of sustenance. And uh, the unfortunate thing is the farmers are still the poorest uh, in these uh, areas. So just to be short, I think addressing the productivity and profitability of these areas is inevitable for Africa to move forward and at least reach the level of um, sustainable productivity to reduce hunger and to reduce poverty. Because they are very critical. There are so many areas of intervention that could be possible. And I will take examples from Asia. This has been a case before, but now um, uh, this is solved. Small scale farmers are contributing a lot to uh, producing sufficient food for themselves and also to the market. So for Africa, if you want to do that, you have to work on uh, uh, increasing and sustaining pro uh, productivity. We have to look at quality and we have to make the production also competitive. Um, uh, all the farm products should be competitive with uh, imported goods. Still people prefer the imports over their exports uh, and uh, over local production. And also we have uh, to maintain sustainable access to markets both for inputs and outputs. So there is lots of opportunities for small scale farms uh, really to contribute to food and nutrition security in Africa. Thanks, I'll stop here. Thank you so much. I'm going to move to Botswana and to Martin. Thank you very much, uh, John. Um, my name is Martin Muchero. I'm based in Kaporoni in Botswana. Um, uh, way of introduction, uh, I'm a former um, uh, employee or uh, work, workmate with, uh, with the SADC Secretariat. Uh, which is based here in Botswana. Uh, I was responsible for developing the regional agricultural policy uh, for the Southern African region. Um, since then, I've been an independent uh, consultant uh, involved in many aspects of agriculture, including um, institutional reviews and so on. Um, on the side, I'm a student at the same time with the University of Pretoria. I'm just about to finish my doctorate, hopefully. Um, in, uh, and I'm focusing on regional integration and rural poverty reduction through rural development. Um, so that's, that's the area that I've been looking at. With regards to uh, today's um, uh, discussions, um, certainly, and I agree with the speakers that have just um, uh, talked very briefly about the importance of small-scale farming. But I'm looking at it, uh, I'd like to look at it from the point of view of um, three key areas, or from a policy perspective, where the changes are coming from uh, that impact, obviously, on small-scale agriculture in the region. And I feel that two of the critical areas that we really need to look at uh, is about climate change uh, as, as, an, as an area of, uh, uh, that's influencing change, as well as macroeconomic conditions in food uh, on food security in the region uh, or in most of our regions. Uh, certainly, the whole issue of COVID-19 has uh, accentuated uh, the, the, the particular problems. The next area that, I, uh, that is of, of, of keen interest, having identified uh, some of these critical areas of change, would be uh, what are the pathways these changes are actually impacting uh, on smallholder farming? 
Um, and, and, and there are quite a number of these um, pathways which we can, uh, one can elaborate on and discuss uh, quite extensively. Um, and the resulting, um, uh, the result of all this is, uh, so from a policy perspective, what should we be looking at? What should we be um, uh, uh, promoting uh, in order to ensure small scale farming? Uh, remains uh, an important element, and not just an important element, but is 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 capacitated to become even better than what they're doing. And here, one is looking at various uh, means uh, of achieving that from a policy policy perspective, including uh, areas such as agroecology, uh, areas such as uh, non-farm enterprise systems, um, the growth of or the promotion of those. Um, and this is over and above the various other elements that uh, talk to social inclusivity, uh, as well as uh, the full participation of uh, the smallholder farmers uh, in various policy as well as uh, policy formulation as well as policy implementation. I would leave it at this point. Uh, thank you very much indeed. Thank you so much, Martin. And now, last but not least, over to Jemima in Kenya. Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Jemima Njuki. Um, I work at Canada's International Development Research Center, IDLC. I'm based in the regional office in Nairobi. And for the last seven years, I've been working with our agriculture food security program, supporting research and researchers um, working in the ag sector, supporting smallholder farmers in the region. Um, and, and so for me, there's no doubt what other speakers have said about the importance of smallholder agriculture, but I wanna approach it uh, from the perspective of the social dimensions um, of it, um, and mainly from a gender and youth uh, perspective. So one of the things we know is that a sustainable and inclusive um, smallholder agriculture sector is actually only going to be possible if women, the youth, um, everywhere that are engaged in agriculture are empowered and their rights are recognized and, and respected. But when we speak about smallholder agriculture and even from the definitions we, we've, we've heard, we are often characterizing it based on either land size farm size and really ignoring some of the huge differences um, that are based on whether these farmers are male or female farmers, whether they are young or older farmers, whether they are managers on their farms, where they are sourcing their labor and how much labor they have. And these are dimensions that we really have to, to, to critically think about because if we don't, we are actually missing some of the trends that are happening. For example, contrary to the current narrative of the age of the African farmer being 50 and, and, and all, all 60, um, the, the structure of, of who is a smallholder farmer is, is changing. Um, a couple of years ago, we did some research and found only 11% of youth who are interested in agriculture in the region. And more recent studies are actually showing that the average age of the farmer um, is a, between 34 to 45 years. So if we, we really need to look at some of these social dimensions um, of agriculture, because some of these groups face very specific challenges. Uh, women are often lacking access to productive resources, to input extension systems that are not geared towards women smallholder farmers. Intergenerational transfer of land is not happening. So a lot of young people are often farming on land that they have no 
national um, claim to. So on one hand, we, we know that women and youth in the region need agriculture and agriculture in Africa needs young men and women, and yet they are often missing from, from the policy. Uh, discourse and the large programs in, in agriculture. So we really need to think critically about why are their voices missing? Why are we still talking about smallholder farms as though they are only defined by the smallness uh, or the size of their land? So we need to start fixing some of these issues, making sure women are visible. We need better data and evidence on how men and women are treated differently in the agriculture sector and how different agriculture policies are affecting them. We need to recognize the underlying assumptions and stereotypes of women embedded in agriculture policies and what these actually mean for women and for uh, the development of smallholder agriculture. And we need to understand how we can make these policies more gender responsive and then take the next step to make them more gender responsive. So in other words, we need to fix the smallholder agriculture sector so that it's working for everybody and we need to start redefining uh, some of the social characteristics of smallholder agriculture beyond the smallness or the size of their land. Over to you. Uh, Thank you so John. much uh, to you and to all of the panelists for those provocative opening statements. We've actually stayed to time. That's brilliant. We've had one comment that's come in so far, a, a question uh, about from uh, Yodit Kabede Asi saying, is it possible to have the reference for your figures about the contribution of small scale farmers to food production? What you mentioned seems too low for me. Uh, and uh, I don't know if anyone wants to come back to that point right away uh, with a quick response about the contribution of uh, small scale farmers to uh, aggregate food production. Any quick thoughts on that? Yeah, I can respond, I can respond to that. Okay. Uh, the, the figures I have used, for example, come from a, a study that was uh, is published. It's a published publication. Uh, studies that uh, have used panel data from from Tanzania, and um, so there's, there's I, I can provide the references later. You could stick the, a, a link to to that perhaps in the chat box if if you wouldn't mind. Uh, and Bio, you um, wanted to say something? Yeah. yeah. Oh yes. Yes. Uh, I would uh, refer the uh, to um, Woodhill. Has, has nine and Griffiths 2020, farmers and food systems. What future for small-scale farming? Um, it's from the University of Oxford. Um, that gives us some data on the contributions of uh, small farmers uh, in, the gen in food production globally. And it puts the number at about 20%. Jim, perhaps uh, as one of the co-moderators, you could add the link as well. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll, I'll, I'll add, add, add the link. It's a quite a complex story, all of this, but a really good discussion to have. I mean, maybe just one very brief comment there. I think definitely. while probably all small-scale farmers underneath, say, about five hectares produce a tremendous amount of food, we need to recognise there's a very large group of very small, very, very small-scale farmers who perhaps don't produce so much food. So you actually need to disaggregate between the larger and the very, very small farmers when you're talking about this and we often just put lump all small-scale farmers, which I think comes back to the comment Jemima has, has made about needing to disaggregate. 
Thank you, Jim. And yes, you could add that link to that that reference would be great. I see we've also heard from Integuos, who's kind of agreed with that last point about I agree with the idea of quantifying or qualifying, I should say, the term small smallholder farmers according to the type of farming enterprise and uh, so on and so forth. So I think we'll we'll break that up, I think, today and think about that disaggregation of the the many pathways, perhaps, and the many, many forms that these households uh, and farming enterprises take. What I'd like to do as, as people add further comments and questions is to come back to the panel. Now, we mentioned at the start, we've asked them, uh, the panel members, to reflect on a number of questions. The first one, which relates partly to this theme, is about what changes are occurring in the importance of small-scale farming for poverty reduction, food production, yeah, poverty reduction, food production, food nutrition security across the region. Uh, also considering that, that issue of the numbers of farms of different sizes, and what are some of the key drivers of change? Some, some of the panelists already mentioned some of those key drivers of rural transformation, and, and we'd like uh, some people to to uh, reflect on that a little bit more. We asked a number of you to touch on that question, and maybe I could start with Abdel to uh, offer some reflections on that. You're muted at the moment. Uh, sorry, John. Yeah, I just want to go back and uh... Still at the point of how important it is, actually, maybe production-wise it is small, but that is mainly because the potential is not being used to the best possible way because uh, productivity in the unit area of small-scale uh, farmers in Asia, for example, is the same as commercial farms or sometimes even better with intensification and use of technologies. So if you here look at the small-scale farmers of being one to two hectares, their household, uh, this contributes about 70% of the total in Sub-Saharan Africa, so it is quite important. So, uh, what is the uh, uh, change that are occurring in terms of importance of it? Um, I'm really happy to see that there is now uh, more and more awareness and recognition of the role of a smallholder farming for food security in Sub-Saharan Africa. And this is very important for improving poverty and also for both food and nutrition security. This is seem to be coming high on some of the government agendas uh, being incorporated in the policies right now. And also it is clear from the investments in the infrastructure and roads and irrigation system and support for input of farm grade prices and so on, which is really, uh, uh, hopefully that will help in transforming this system. Uh, the second point I see it is the there is more and more technologies that are more specific to small um, scale farming uh, that can help transform this farming from the tradition, the current traditional production systems into more modern products, uh, production systems, um, including even uh, a small scale mechanization, new varieties, new seeds. Uh, fertilizers are a real problem in sub-Saharan Africa. They use still about 20, uh, 10 to 20 uh, uh, kilogram per hectare, where in Asia it can be up more than sometimes 200 kilogram per hectares. Um, also, there is uh, 
appropriate harvesting and post-harvest handling and also packaging and branding. All these, if they come together and become accessible to smallholder farmers in, in Africa, it is very clear the productivity can at least double or even triple. Uh, that I'm taking this example from rice because this is the area where we are working right now. Uh, a second change, which I see positive is, uh, is a change in infrastructure and also access to market and uh, the facilitated trade movements within countries as well as at the regional level, especially the role now the RECs, the regional uh, economic communities are playing, facilitating this exchange, which will end up with more returns to farmers. And the second, uh, uh, change I see it now, farmers are recognizing the importance of the scale and most of the big projects, uh, and again referring to rice and uh, irrigation schemes, farmers are, are uh, leaning towards more and more organizing themselves into cooperatives so that they will be able uh, to have better facilities, better services, and at the same time they have better bargaining power um, to secure better prices for markets. And also the good thing is there is increasing government support to ensure minimum get price, that is very clear. And also um, uh, there is more and more access to credit than before. Uh, and all of this moving, there is also movement towards cropping uh, insurance, which is very good. And all of them will probably provide more security for this to go on. Uh, just a, a quick one minute on uh, what are the drivers of the change, I, I see them. Uh, the uh, most important is the realization that the small scale farmers have to move from being subsistent to commercial production farms. They have to be market oriented. Uh, this is very clear and this is the only way for, for us to support the increasing population in open areas and also decrease poverty and contribute to the SDGs, especially one and two. Uh, transformation is becoming possible, as I said, because of the technologies. This is also an incentive for that. And the third point I want to, to raise is the government support um, uh, and also the recognition that we can no longer really depend on uh, imports. We have to rely, to rely more and more on local production. Um, this is specifically uh, uh, important in Sub-Saharan Africa. And if you remember from the 2007-2008 food crisis, where if even if you have money, you cannot import food. This is very important. And the second case is the uh, this pandemic, both Ebola before and now uh, COVID-19. So the, it, there is no security of ha having sufficient food to import to satisfy your local need. And governments are recognizing that. And now there is more and more interest of um, depending more on local production. And as you can see from the huge proportion of small farm, uh, small scale farmers that has to start from there. Back to you, John. Thank you, Abdel. I'm going to ask if either Martin or uh, Bio want to add anything more to that question. Yes, I can. Um, thank you, John. Um, I, I think uh, some of the changes that are occurring uh, right now uh, are in the areas of um, um, reduction in population of um, rural farm families engaged in farming. Um, and these um, have been driven by rural urban migration uh, that has uh, intensified recently because of um, a bad rural infrastructure in uh, many um, um, sub-Saharan African countries. Uh, another change is the, the decline in farm sizes 
among those who remain in farm, uh, on the farm, among smallholder farmers, they're, they're, they're experiencing some decline in farm sizes due to climatic um, changes uh, that is um, uh, reducing uh, yields and discouraging fridge uh, um, um, expansion. Uh, we've had uh, problems of displacement um, due to conflicts that are going on uh, presently that are causing farm sizes to decline even as small as it is. Uh, we're having competition from lower cost imports and from increasing numbers of uh, larger, uh, larger scale farms that are, are driving down costs, uh, uh, driving down prices and uh, making um, the, uh, um, the, the business to be less profitable for small farms. Um, also, we have youth involvement has been declining. Uh, it has declined. And um, also, uh, finally, we have the use of external inputs is declining. And this, both these are driven mainly by uh, declining farm incomes and um, also the dysfunctional credit system that we are experiencing. Thank you. Thank you. We've heard kind of contrasting perspectives on some of these issues in terms of drivers and, and conditions on the ground. Uh, Martin, do you have anything to add or, or shall we move on to the next question? Um, I think we'll move on to the next question. I think um, uh, maybe just one point to add uh, from the uh, point of view of policy, uh, looking at it from a regional perspective. Um, they, uh, with, with everything that uh, my colleagues have just mentioned, there is now, from a policy perspective, a, a change uh, towards um, a more robust, um, I'm using the term here, rural, um, rural non-farm enterprise development uh, from the point of view that most of the smallholder farmers are based in rural areas. So one of the key areas uh, uh, or one of the key changes from a policy perspective has, is, is now a shift away from um, the standard um, a trickle down effect a theory of economic uh, uh, benefits uh, rising for, uh, or, or, uh, or affecting rural um, uh, poverty to be a more active um, um, way of addressing rural poverty um, or smallholder um, difficulties with more robust um, uh, non farm activity taking place. Uh, that's all I, I just wanted to add. Okay, thank you very much. And it comes to our next question, and, and several of you touched on the role of markets in driving some of these changes and also the investments being made in terms of infrastructure to uh, improve access to markets. So th our next question is about how are domestic and regional food markets changing and what are the implications uh, for the opportunities and constraints for some of the different types of small-scale farms we, and farmers we've, we've heard about. If I could perhaps ask uh, uh, Aida, or sorry, uh, Syriac, to uh, come in on, on that one. You're muted. Sorry, sorry, John. Yes, I was saying just uh, this is a very interesting question. Uh, for the sake of time, I would like it to highlight two major trends uh, which are occurring 
across the African continent to date, uh, which with a major implication for domestic and the regional food markets and the food uh, system across uh, across Africa. Uh, the first one that uh, I want really to emphasize here is the rapid growth um, uh, or rapid growing urbanization across the African continent, which has led to uh, rapid growing food demand uh, in the African cities. Uh, in fact, uh, the World Bank published a report um, that most of you might have seen in 2016 called Growing Africa, Unlocking the Potential of, of Agribusiness. That shows that uh, due to rapid increasing global and domestic food, food demand, the value of Africa's food markets is estimated to rise from uh, around uh, 313 billion US dollars in, the 20, in the 2010 to 1 trillion US dollars in the 2030. Now, this is a massive, uh, you know, kind of uh, value jump in the food system. So this could potentially create opportunities for food suppliers in smallholder agric uh, 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 small agricultural uh, sector. However, this incredible rising value of African food market has also attracted other powerful domestic and the foreigner actors that created the fierce competition in the agricultural sector that threatens the livelihoods of smallholder small farmers who lack capital and other means of production to participate competitively in food production and the supply of you know, for the market. So the second uh, trend that I really wanted to highlight here is closely linked to the first one, and uh, is the rapid growing of African uh, middle class. As uh, many African economies continue to grow uh, at the higher pace in comparison with uh, the rest of the world, at least um, until before the, um, before the COVID-19. Now, the growth of middle class is leading to rapid restructuring of African food markets in terms of what is consumed and where to buy food. Now, the main characteristic of this restructuring is the rapid growth of a of a supermarketization uh, in the African food system. If you go to cities like Accra, uh, cities like, uh, you know, uh, like Rusaka, uh, and other cities across the continent, there's a, this mushrooming of supermarkets uh, in, in, in many uh, African uh, 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 um, uh, uh, cities. Now, this rapid growth of supermarkets across the continent has a major implication, not only for how food is grown and sold, but also for who is producing food because of the supermarket's stringent requirements in terms of quality, quantity, and the frequency, uh, and the, and the frequency of, of food supplies. Uh, at this point, um, our, our has been pretty much vivid in our studies in a number of African countries uh, that have revealed that the advent of supermarkets in the African food system are threatening the future uh, for small-scale agriculture in the region as they tend to focus more or to privilege more 
large-scale uh, producers, uh, large-scale uh, capitalist uh, farmers who are capable to meet the stringent uh, uh, you know, requirements. I'll end up there, John. Thank you very much. If I could hand over to Jemima on this question of markets, both uh, domestic and regional. Um, so I think the only thing I would like to add to, to what has been said is as we, we've seen these rural uh, uh, urban populations grow um, and infrastructure actually improve, um, we're seeing much more regional, um, much more rural urban um, connections. So first a movement of food from, from um, rural areas to urban areas. But what I would also say is that also comes with, with two critical issues that we need to, to think about. And one is the fact that in, in the last um, state of food and, and, and nutrition report, what we saw is a huge number of hungry people in Africa are actually in rural areas. So even as we think about um, improved markets and, and rural areas supplying urban markets. What's really happening to, to, to rural nutrition? What's happening to food security in rural areas? What are those trade-offs that we actually need to, 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 to manage? Are we having healthy food move from, from rural areas to, to, to urban areas and, and rural folk actually having to, to, to depend more on um, on, on, on high calorie, but lower nutritious foods. So that's something that we really have to critically think about. I think the second major development in the region and, and is, is the, the continent of free trade agreement that, that's gonna be coming into force in the next couple of, of weeks, because what that actually does is, is open up markets between, between countries. And this is going to be a huge opportunity for small Firmers, but also for, for the continent to rethink um, uh, the, the, the whole food system in, in, in itself and, and how to trade with, with each other for commodities that are in short supply in certain countries but produced in other, in other countries without some of the, of, the, of the tariff barriers. But even with this, they still need to, 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 to consider some of the non-tariff barriers, which actually have been the biggest impediment to, to, to growth of, of, of regional trade. Um, we, we've been supporting some work, for example, on, on, um, within the government of Canada on cross-border trade and, and facilitating especially women traders who are trading across borders and reducing some of those non-tariff barriers because it's one thing to have an agreement. It's one thing to ensure that that agreement actually, um, actually works. So some interesting policy dimensions and in, uh, across countries conversations there in terms of reducing some of these non-tariff barriers. And we've even seen a group come up uh, within that um, AFCTA process that's going to be monitoring some of these non-tariff um, non barriers and how they can be uh, managed uh, so that trade, food trade between countries is more, is more efficient. Thank you very much, Jemima. Um, I was also going to ask Martin for a few reflections on, on this. Uh, we don't have a lot of time, Martin. 
if you have any quick thoughts. Um, yes, indeed, uh, just a very quick one. Um, from the point of view that uh, I, I fully agree, uh, value chains has been, uh, or regional value chains has been promoted over time as being a very critical um, a component to um, food security in the region. Um, what has happened with COVID um, is now giving some of the countries in the region, at least in the Southern African region, um, let me call it food for thought. Um, we've seen recently Botswana uh, now looking at uh, upscaling its horticultural strategies. Um, so there's now more, uh, uh, the, which gives um, um, uh, the which brings the uh, out the importance of small holder uh, production um, because of uh, restrictions in travel and movement and so on that have been caused by COVID. We've now seen a policy shift. Um, from what traditionally we've been uh, pushing for, uh, which is value chain, regional value chains, uh, continental value chains being being promoted. So there is another wave of change that's also coming uh, into being, but the immediate impact of it has been um, to focus on the smallholder producers and say, can they do more? What can be done to, uh, for them to actually do more? Uh, that's the addition that I just wanted to make. Thank you so much. We're going to move on quickly. And if I could ask people to keep comments and re reflections relatively brief. Uh, we talked already quite a lot in the opening section about the characteristics of farm farming households and how they're changing. Farm income and profitability, uh, land holding sizes, the degree of some of the off-farm income issues, changing gender roles and the like and how this is influencing their viability and the role, their role in food production. If I, I could ask very briefly, uh, Aida, to give some reflections on that. Uh, let me uh, maybe point out just uh, two things. Uh, one, regarding to the aspect of rural nutrition, as we encourage, we note that commercialization is happening but uh, as Jemima said, uh, rural food insecurity is also increasing. So this is something that we need to take note of uh, in, in our policy interventions, because we know that uh, in many areas, uh, farmers are also net buyers. Uh, they sell during harvest, but then they come to buy later. Uh, we need to take uh, 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 the policy issues, need to address that. Another thing is uh, the, the gender gap. Uh, we note that uh, in most cases, uh, while uh, these changes are happening, uh, women lag behind in uh, benefiting from some of the positive aspects. Uh, but uh, we note that uh, where commercialization happens, uh, uh, it, in, it in increases the opportunities for women to be empowered. So these are opportunities that should be addressed in ensuring that uh, women are, are included and uh, constraints are addressed so that uh, uh, development is inclusive. Thank you. That actually is anticipating question four with some of those, those helpful thoughts. Uh, uh, Adebayo, any additions? Yes, I have a, a few additions. Uh, in terms of characteristics of um, farming household, how it's changing. Uh, we have some evidence from uh, recent studies that um, 
uh, agricultural policy for uh, for research, uh, agricultural policy research for Africa. APRA has been doing uh, here in Nigeria, West Africa. Uh, we have some evidence that small farms are transitioning to medium-scale farms. Uh, we call that stepping up, and uh, this has increased intensity in the past ten years. Uh, we also uh, have um, evidence that um, there are growing cases of uh, investor farmers who are uh, not previously farmers that are coming directly into uh, farming, but at medium scale level. Uh, we call this stepping in. Um, so we, some other forms of um, changing characteristics of this farming household is uh, the, their behavior uh, is being influenced by uh, the small farmers' behavior has been influenced by interactions with medium-scale farms in their vicinity. Um, we have influences uh, on their input use, on their um, agricultural practices, and then market engagement. The, the medium-scale farms around them are influencing the, the small-scale farmers uh, uh, in the areas of um, cropping practices, in the areas of agro-input use and uh, market engagements. Um, yes, and so this um, uh, changing uh, characteristics of these smallholder farmers uh, through um, the, the influence of medium scale farms uh, is, um, you know, is bringing about some, we're, we're finding out that they are becoming more um, economically viable. I'll just give a couple of uh, numbers here. Um, you find out that um, small scale farmers, we have a group of small scale farmers that actually in the past decade transitioned to become medium scale farmers, uh, farms. And then we look at their characteristics before the transition and their characteristics after the transition. Um, we find out that um, the non-agricultural sector, uh, that the percentage of them that has uh, non-agric sector as their source of uh, main source of income uh, de uh, declined, uh, um, increased. Sorry, um, before they, they became medium scale, they, they were they were 99%. Uh, there's 99% small farmers that um, have their major source of income as agriculture. Uh, among those who, who went who transitioned, we have 82%. Uh, so it means that what we're seeing is that um, um, those who transitioned to medium scale farms have more sources, they source more of their income from non-farming sector. Then farm sizes are also changing uh, among this, those who transition from 2.4 average to 9.35. Then the source of land, source of land, um, the, the, among the smallholder farmers, we have uh, about 11% of them source their land from the markets, about 11% uh, in purchase or rentage. But when you look at those who transitioned, you find out that 33% of them actually source from the market, which shows that there is increase in mar land market engagement or accessibility to land markets. We also have some differences in the area of um, uh, title, title to land, which is very important also uh, in these dynamics. We find that among the small scale farmers, we have about 1.1% that have title to their lands. And uh, among these transition farmers, we have about 4% of them which is more than double what we have. Uh, then finally, in the area of value of um, farm assets, uh, we find that the, uh, among the, uh, the, 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 we find about 30% increase among those small farmers who transitioned compared with those who remained as small farmers. 
So, um, so these are the uh, things that we, we observed um, in, in terms of um, changing farm characteristics and how it's influencing viability and role in food production. Thank you so much. We're going to have to move on. Uh, could I then ask for, uh, we're going to move on to the fourth question, actually, because this is really a critical one. We've touched on it throughout about how are the gender and youth dimensions of small scale farming changing? We've already had some assessments or insights from people, but what are the implications for equality, equity, and empowerment? If I could ask uh, uh, Jemima to start us off. Um, thank you, John. So um, first from my youth perspective, and then my second point in terms of uh, gender dynamics. One of the trends we, we've been seeing recently is this change in the age structure of smallholder farmers with the young, more young people actually going into, into agriculture. So um, if I did a couple of surveys about a year ago showing that the average age is actually now going towards the 40s from the 60s that we, 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 we that have been the common narrative before. And this has several implications because it means um, the, the potential, for example, to take advantage of technology, whether that's mobile technology, big data, in improving the efficiency, access to information, access to markets within smallholder agriculture sector is actually increasing because these are young people, they are technologically savvy, but we also must improve the policies around this. As I asked as I said, a lot of their voices are still missing in 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 policy dialogue. Um, we are still thinking of youth as a problem to fix rather than fixing the ag system and the food system so that actually it works for their specific circumstances. So this has implications in terms of how we think about agriculture policy, in terms of how we think about technological development within, um, within the sector. Um, the second trend is, as Ida mentioned, this, this, this closing of the gender gap, because that is something we, we actually must do, and it can't just be lip service. I think there's been a lot of recognition of the importance of women in, in the sector. We have a fairly good understanding of, of the gaps in, in resources, the gaps in, in extension um, services. And these are also systems that, that we need to fix moving forward. It really can't continue to be, we need to close the gender gap and therefore let's train uh, women on how to farm because women have been farming. Uh, they have been engaged in smallholder agriculture, but are markets working for them? Do they have access to information? How do we reform the extension system so that it actually serves, um, serves women? The other trend we are seeing now is a huge focus on um, women-owned medium and small enterprises within the agriculture sector and a lot of um, services and innovations around how to make sure that women are not just in, in, in actual production, but they are also engaged in other parts of the of, of the food chain that they are involved in agro-processing, that they are in agriculture trade. 
um, that they are in the in in the market as business owners and not just as as um, as workers. Because until we put a, a, a policy focus on that, we are going to continue to have women just engaged in. Um, in, in, in production. So there's a shift there that, that's happening that's actually quite important. But at the same time, we do not want to forget that a majority of rural women are still engaged in smallholder um, agriculture production and that uh, policy support. Um, extension support, um, access to land, and not just access, but ownership as well, that some of those systems change so that um, we can increase productivity of women smallholder farmers. Brilliant. That's very helpful. Um, Syriac, you are the uh, coordinator of the Young African Researchers in Agriculture Network, Yara. Uh, maybe some reflections from you on this topic. Yeah, um, uh, th thank you so much, John. I think really uh, Jamima almost like, uh, uh, you know, uh, brilliantly summarized. I think actually she picked up my mind uh, almost everything that I was going to say. I don't know what I, I could say anymore, but probably we should, we have to put this question into context, John. We need to understand that uh, African continent is a very youthful continent. Uh, where, according to, uh, to, to the report that was published in 2015 by the uh, United Nations, uh, shows that 70% of, of African population are under the age of 30. Uh, which makes actually the uh, you know the, the the continent to be the most youthful continent you know in the world, uh, but then uh, we have that youthful population, and there is another uh, report that was published in 2016 by Airo, which shows that uh, every year we are having half a million entering the job market in a, a context where there is uh, the urban you know, uh, industrial sectors are not really creating much jobs, uh, you know, that to absorb that labor force that is, you know, that is, that is entering the, you know, the job market. Then you are, you are having this parallel phenomenon that are happening of, uh, of, 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 of many young people who are not absorbed in the so-called the uh, market economy or urban market economy, uh, but at the same time, uh, as, uh, as Jamima mentioned it before, uh, that are not absorbed in agricultural you know, sector. So you end up having high level of unemployment, you know, for youth unemployment, and in the context of a, a young population living side by side. The question is why? That is precisely what Jamima is trying to put on the table here. And that this is requires the combination of labor, land, and the capital. How do we combat, how, how, do, we make, how do we create the system that allows this massive, uh, you know, a strata of the population on African continent to combine or to have access to land, 
they have access to labor, they have access to, you know, to, 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 uh, to capital. And that has a gender dimension to it, as, as Jamima was mentioning, as young girls, and, you know, are increasingly finding it very, very difficult to get into agricultural production because of the, you know, the traditional patriarchal system, uh, inheritance system that broke them out. And until all those issues are being resolved, and uh, so that uh, the, the agricultural sector is able to absorb that youthful labor force that we're having on the continent, then we might be having a problem. And the question that we're, have, we're discussing here about the future of the uh, smallholder, you know, uh, smallholder farming is at stake. Who will be the who will be the future of smallholder, you know, farmers? And another another dimension that I want just to finish on on that particular point uh, is one minute is 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 a trend that has been picked up by some colleagues at IE at Institute of Social Studies in the Hague, which shows that now increasingly young people are taking longer to even to have access to the family property or to you know to household you know property until in fact uh, uh, Ben White is putting the age to 45 I mean who wanted to wait until you, you 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 are 45 years of old in order to become a farmer? That is that is explain actually the issue why we don't the, the issue uh, that Jamima uh, are picking up from the data why young people are not getting into the you know agricultural sector why we're having this major uh, 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 youth unemployment the continent. Thank you for, for raising that issue. I'm going to stop the, the Q&A here. We've had a load of, of points come into the chat, and unfortunately, we're not going to be able to get to these all. What I'd like to do now is hand over briefly to Jim uh, to tell us a little bit more about what's come out, if he can, uh, in the uh, mural board. And then we're going to wrap up with one minute reflections from each of our panelists. Jim, over to you. Uh, share screen. Look, I don't, I, I don't think I will, uh, I think you can see my screen, can you? Uh, yep. Can you enlarge a bit more? I can enlarge it. How's that? I'm not. I'm not going to try and go through this, John. But um, just to show people what we've got here, um, there's been so much rich inf information coming in so quickly. I'm not sure that I've done just justice to it all, but we'll tidy this up later. But this can just sh show you how we've been capturing the information into the different questions uh, as we go. And I think there's some really sort of interesting points here, and we'll we'll refine this with. Uh, our direct notes as well. So I think I'll just leave it at this, but we will leave this live. So if people would like to add to this over the coming uh, day or two, please feel free. John, you're, John, you've been on mute for the last little while. I, sorry, you're right. Uh, if I could invite the panelists to just have a very brief reflection on the policy challenges and opportunities, thinking about those key policy directions of support to small-scale farming, 
the sorts of challenges that we heard about? What are some of the policy responses and the strengths and weaknesses of those? Where do we go from here? If I could start with uh, Aida. Is she still with us or she dropped off? Yeah, she's here. I think you're on mute. Okay, we're not getting Ida at the moment. I'm going to go to Abdel. Uh, yeah, thanks, Jan. Um Yes, there is uh, quite a few to be done in the area of policy, and I'll take the first one as the policies that can really ensure protection of the farmers and provide incentive for them to increase production. Uh, when you go to fields here in many places and you try to demonstrate new technologies, the question with farmers is how can we really get more in, get access to market and get more, more money of that. So I think for some of the aspects that are needed, we have to provide assurance against, against over-exploitation, uh, sort of sustainable access to fair both input and output, output markets. Uh, also, uh, the minimum uh, farm gate price guarantee was mentioned by a few of our colleagues. And also we need to provide some sort of insurance against crop failures due to weather calamities as well as best and diseases, epidemics and so on. So these are very important and this is really some of the drivers that uh, make very good progress in places where the small holder farmers are flourishing now as in, in Asia. The second thing is uh, we have to engage private sector and youth group and make them providers of services and also modern technologies like mechanization, access to input, access to market and so on. Um, uh, a third point is uh, we need also to look at our farm policies uh, and our agricultural policies in general. They are quite behind in some countries and in some countries they are over 40 years old, 30 years old. We need to change these so that we can uh, speed the delivery of modern interventions that are developed within Africa or outside. Releasing a variety now takes forever. And in Asia, you can release it in a few years actually, more than half the time. And also ensure the capacity to adapt these uh, new technologies by making sure that the, you, you also address the uh, social context. We need also policies to sustain the value chains is addressed already, and also impact uh, the, reduce the impact of intermediaries and middlemen in, in the market. Just one last point also is uh, uh, to, to uh, try to really uh, support, provide more support for the engagement of young uh, generations into agriculture. I think there is a, a, a large room there. Uh, and this is mentioned also by a few of our colleagues. Back to you. Thank you. Thank you very much, Abdel. Aida, you're back with us. Uh, did you hear the, the last uh, part? We're asking for brief reflections from a policy perspective in particular, some of the challenges, opportunities, and where we go from here. Yeah, sorry, my internet is unstable. Um, last reflections, um, uh, I think we have all noted the importance of farmers for some time to come and they are 
while we see these dynamics, but they will remain great some of the challenges that they face. Uh, challenges in, in relation to markets and value addition, as, as others have said, but uh, also um, policies, consistency in policies, so that uh, sometimes policies are introduced without uh, enough uh, analysis on the long-term impacts. We have had examples, for example, in Tanzania, government intervening and um, uh, bringing adverse effects on to farmers. Although the intention is good, so policies must be consistent. But also uh, we note that there are some positive aspects of uh, technology improving productivity. These must be and farmers uh, in order to sustain the trend and uh, include women use that uh, the development is inclusive. Thank you. We're going to move on. If I could go to Adebayo, try if we can, remaining panelists, to keep these interventions brief. Uh, thank you, John. Um, yes, I'll just um, um, just go back to the last points I made during my uh, opening remark, uh, where I asked two questions: Should small farms be empowered to enhance food security, poverty, and employment by 2030? I say my answer to that is yes. And I said, I asked another question, should Africa continue to rely on small scale agriculture for food security, poverty reduction and employment in the next decade after 2030? My answer to that question is no. And um, the reason I say this is that there have been great investments, um, a large amount of investments over the past decades on small farmers and um, we have not seen much uh, of uh, the improvements uh, that would warrant um, the investment that has been made on this group of farmers. So my thinking is that we need to change direction a little bit, not to annihilate the small farms, they are still very relevant, but to find um, an alternative route, which I'm proposing medium scale farms. From our studies that we've had so far uh, in on using Nigerian data through, through APRA, we have found that these medium scale farms, if the governments in Africa focus on them as a, an instrument of policy, uh, they can actually help to drive transformation in the smallholder farming sector. Uh, by the fact that we found that there are spillover effects from interactions between these small farmers and the medium scale farmers. And these interactions have resulted in increased productivity, uh, increased income and poverty reductions among those small-scale farmers uh, that are in interaction with the medium-scale farms. Um, so that is uh, uh, my, my closing point on that. Thank you. Thank, thank you very much. Okay, if I could go to, um, who have I not asked yet, Syriac. Uh, thank you, John. I uh, regrettably, have to disagree with uh, Adebayo on uh, as my as my my closing uh, remarks in terms of uh, um, of the uh, medium scale farmers. I think uh, um, uh, there is uh, uh, that is have shown that. Uh, Yeah.
think we've lost Syriac connection briefly. Because it disagreed with me. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we're going to have, have to go on to the next. If I could, could ask uh, uh, Martin for some reflections while we wait for Syriac to reconnect. Yes, indeed. Thank you very much indeed. One uh, major reflection, and that will be from, from the point of view of policy, uh, the promotion of rural development. I know we talk a lot about agricultural development, but uh, we need to think more holistically uh, and more broadly. Rural development, I think, is one of the key areas uh, that needs to be promoted. Um, not that we are short of uh, sound rural development strategies, but what we are short of is effective implementation of those strategies. And I think uh, we need to invest more uh, in the implementation of uh, rural development um, uh, strategies. And I believe that provides a much broader uh, response to um, the various issues that we're talking about and the importance of smallholder farmers. Thanks very much. Thank you very much. Jemima, you have the final word here. Yeah, uh, three very quick reflections. First, going to my opening remarks, that we need to redefine smallholder agriculture so that it includes the gender and social dimensions, because this then leads us to more gender responsive policies that serve women, youth, and other um, different types of smallholder farmers. This will also ensure that we change those gendered rules, whether they are formal or informal, that are creating and re reinforcing power differentials and granting unequal values, including access to resources, income, degrees of authority and autonomy for men and women, and especially young men and women. The second quick reflection is that we need to start embracing young women and youth as leaders in the, in, in the sector. So we need to make them more visible, not just on the farm, not just on the factory floor, but also on the tables where decisions and policies are being made. It's sort of like we can't have policies that serve young people that serve women without those young people and women um, at the table. And, 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 and lastly, and I make this point in, in every meeting I'm going to now, we need to stop thinking that the, the, the solution is gonna be fixing women and youth. Women and youth are okay. We need to fix those systems that are holding them, um, that are holding them back. Thank you so much. Did I get all panel members' reflections? I believe... No, no, Syriac is back, he said. Syriac's so, back, I think. I don't know what happened with Syriac. my internet. 30 um, seconds. Yes, no, I was saying that regrettably, I have to disagree as my, uh, <laughs> my, my final remarks with uh, my very good friend uh, at the bio on the, uh, on the, on the focus on the uh, uh, medium scale, you know, farming. Uh, simply because of the context context uh, Jimam and I have been putting on the table here, given uh, the kind of trends of uh, the demographic, uh, you know, uh, projection of the African continent, which is likely to be as such until uh, 2050. And it makes much sense that the focus on young people, and that goes back to the Marabo, to the Marabo declaration that has been adopted by the heads of state in 2014, that recognized- We're going to have to stop as there. The, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, as the main- Understand uh, the 
commitment. Thank you very much. I'm going to hand over to Ken, given the, the time. Well, thanks very much indeed to all of the panelists. And I mean, I think, you know, Africa is a huge, diverse continent. We've got a diversity of experiences, a diversity of views. I think that's great. Obviously, the debate was just starting to hot up as we're closing it down. But uh, that's inevitable. I just like in order, you know, we had over 50 people actually on, on, on the webinar today as uh, uh, observers as, uh, and questioners. There's lots of questions in the chat as well. I'd like to all invite you all back. Uh, it's in about, what, 40 minutes. We'll be actually having a wrap-up session where we'll be bringing together speakers from sessions we ran yesterday on East Asia, South Asia, and Latin America, where we had some really interesting perspectives as well. Also, much more talking about issues related to social protection, uh, the diversity of livelihood activities, ecosystem services, you name it. And I think it'll be really interesting to try and bring some of those insights into this discussion also with some of you, uh, the panelists here and all of you who are online, so that we can learn from these different regions. And finally, this is all leading up to two more sessions that we'll be running in November, on November the 10th and then on the 25th, where we've got a session first on pathways and then a final one on policy and all building up towards the uh, Food Systems Summit in 2021. So this is an ongoing debate. We're really interested in getting feedback and input. You can all vlog and add your views on the website uh, if you want to get in touch with us. Thanks very much. Have a good day. Hope to see you back in just over half an hour.